1: You're listening to Halftime Report, in progress. I'm Scott
2: Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And with that, uh, I'll yield back. Thank you very much, Madam Chair
3: gentleman yields back. To the gentleman from Oklahoma, Mr. Lucas, is re- now recognized for five minutes.
4: Thank you, Madam Chair. And actually, I think my timing for my question is perfect. Chairman Powell, I'd like to discuss with you today an issue that is of significant concern to me and many of my colleagues. The SEC's regulatory agenda has more than 50 significant proposals that are currently underway or approaching a final vote. These rules cut across every asset class under the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission's jurisdiction. The sheer complexity and volume of these overlapping rulemakings could negatively impact markets and the public that depends on them. SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce, I should say, warned that the speed and character of these rulemakings could create dangerous conditions in our capital markets. Now, this is against the backdrop of the U.S. economy facing significant challenges. We've discussed that all morning. Inflation at more than a 40-year high, with substantial increases in the cost of food, housing, and gas prices at record prices. Also, supply chain backlogs and labor shortages continue to weigh on the economy, with consumer and business confidence plummeting. And, of course, we're still studying the impact of the global pandemic and the consequences of the ongoing Russian invasion of the Ukraine. In Oklahoma, small businesses, farmers, ranchers are navigating through surging energy prices and volatile agricultural markets for inputs like grain and fertilizer. Poor crop conditions and high commodity prices are expected to worsen the situations throughout the summer and into the rest of the year. In uncertain times like this, market participants need to seek to protect their retirement savings, to hedge risk, and to safeguard their livelihoods. A top priority should be supporting liquid markets to protect the U.S. economy from the face of these substantial headwinds. I know you don't comment on other entities within the federal government. I know these regulations that are gonna have such a tremendous impact are not coming from your area, but unfortunately I'm concerned that the magnitude and the significance of rulemaking proposals coming out of the SEC in such a short amount of time runs counter to the goal. We know that regulatory uncertainty creates adverse market environment for economic growth and market stability. So Chairman Powell, I'll not ask you to comment on the SEC, but could you speak to the importance of market liquidity during periods of economic uncertainty?
5: Yes. So markets are there to, one of the things they do is process information and consider the implications of it. And and it's critical that markets be liquid enough to do that. And, uh, if that happens, then financial conditions can adjust and equity prices of various kinds can adjust. And that's, that's one of their big functions is to do, do that, and to absorb news, uh, sometimes very difficult news, in a way that, is, that, is, that preserves stability. I think Congress
4: and the public should have the opportunity to fully grasp the impact of the SEC sweeping proposals. If we really want to tame inflation, if, we, re, if we, should, we should begin to by not making the current situation worse. The SEC's approach will rattle markets during a time when strong capital markets are essential to our economic growth and our constituents back home. After all, you're working hard on the demand side of the equation, but we in Congress and the administration should help with the supply side of the equation. And that is not making it more difficult to invest in and create more goods and services in this country. That said, Chairman Powell, as you've acknowledged, the Fed's monetary policy tools can do very little to mitigate rising gas prices. However, the increased cost of gas has an oversized impact on consumer inflation expectations. Folks see the price of the pump going up and experience the price per gallon at an all time high. Could you discuss how the Fed envisions its ability to rein in inflation expectations, driven in large part by gas prices? Or put another way, if gas prices remain at record levels, is an aggressive response from the Fed all but guaranteed?
5: Well, if gas prices remain at the current levels they're at, then inflation—you know—it's the problem—is inflation means it c- continuing to go up. So it isn't so much the level as the as the rate of change, as you as you know. So um, I, I think we are mindful that e- even though these things are outside of our control, the uh, gas prices and food prices, for the most part. That just that adds a little bit of urgency in our wanting to get our, our rates into a place where, where we're addressing inflation directly because the public reacts to all kinds of inflation, not just core inflation. Our tools tend to generally go to core inflation, So, um, but, and we, we, we don't think we can use our tools to change energy prices, but we do think that they, that they add, they add uh, to our desire to get uh, expeditiously to the appropriate levels.
4: And clearly, Congress and the administration, the majority, has a responsibility to increase supplies of resources, not discourage that. Yield back, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
3: Gentlemen's time has expired. The gentlewoman from Ohio, Ms. Beatty, who is also the chair of the Subcommittee on Diversity and Inclusion, is now recognized for five minutes.
6: Uh, Thank you so much, Madam Chair, and thank you, Chair Powell, for being here as you're navigating uh, through uh, all these federal issues during this difficult economic time. Uh, Chair Powell, uh, after our hearing concludes, this committee will be voting on a few pieces of legislation, so I'm going to take advantage of having you here to shed some light on a few of the things that we will be considering. Uh, I can't think of a better person to give us some insight uh, on these issues. Uh, First question is, we'll be voting on an amendment that would delay the SEC's small business advocate advocate from conducting outreach to underserved business owners until after gas prices drop to the pre-COVID level. Chair Powell, in your opinion, will delaying the SEC's outreach to minority business owners affect gas prices in any way? I'm,
5: uh, with all respect, uh, I, I'm reluctant to comment on, on proposed legislation.
6: Well, well let me ask that this, let's say if it's not legislation, is there a correlation between what gas prices would uh, be in relation to what they were with pre-CO- uh, pre-COVID with inflation?
5: Again, I, you know, I'd be expressing an opinion on someone's amendment and I, I just, I, I, if I start down that road, I, I don't know where it stops. I really, uh, these are matters for, well, for elected you, people.
6: Well, would you say that the global uh, markets and uh, inflation is, is across the country, that we're seeing this everywhere?
5: Yes, inflation is, um, is, is uh, happening everywhere now.
6: I'm dealing with a lot of fair housing issues in, in my district. And, you know, I have a long history of, of working with public housing and relocating people. And as we look at issues with housing, do you think housing is any way uh, tied to uh, inflation?
5: I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch the question. I apologize.
6: Do, do you think what's happening in our housing market is tied to uh, inflation in yes. any way?
5: Yes, it is. Yes. So ha- housing costs are about a third of the CPI. Housing, we call them housing services, and that's really rents plus uh, the way the way it works is, uh, uh, we, in effect, an owner of a house is uh, is charging something called owner's equivalent rent or paying something called owner's equivalent rent. So yes, it's an important factor in inflation.
6: Okay. So can can you tell us in, in your opinion in, in light of Congressman Vargas's question, is as he was giving us an, an idea of as some of our colleagues are trying to tie things to um, the American uh rescue plan, uh, the trying to tie it to us, taking care of the least of us, that that, if, 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 if it is tied to inflation, why in other areas or, or countries uh, that, and they don't have the American rescue plan and How do you answer more about Mr. Vargas's question? I mean, I know he gave you a litany. I'm not trying to put you on the spot with quizzing you on what their inflation rate is in comparison to ours. But I think you got where he was going uh, with this. Is there anything else you'd like to elaborate on in relationship to where he was going?
5: Sure. So I'll just say these things are there are differences between uh, even though we have a very similar inflation rate, from with, with a lot of the large European democracies now pretty close, um, there there are differences between countries and the difference with, with the US compared to the, the European countries is that ours is more about demand. We, we have areas of our in, our in our economy where demand is substantially in excess of supply. That's not mainly a feature of the European economies where they're really feeling you know, very, very uh, high inflation because of energy prices and, and also food prices okay. now. That's part of our story, too. We're also feeling energy, uh, energy and food prices, but we have this other part that is, uh, that is more core inflation that is more susceptible to being managed by our tools and is really the, okay. the object of our tools.
6: My time is up, but in, in light of your response to my first question, I just need to say for the record, I can't conceive of a single connection between gas prices set by global markets and giving advice to small businesses. And the same, uh, I have a hard time coming up with a theory of how allowing discriminatory housing will help stem inflation. Uh, and I think my time is up. Uh, I yield back.
3: Gentlewoman's time has expired. The gentleman from Texas, Mr. Session, is now recognized for five minutes.
7: Thank you very much, Chairman. Uh, Chairman Powell, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. This is important to the American people who hear our questions. This is important for us as we weigh and measure and gauge Uh, your input, which we believe is exceptional. I've stated that to you in the past, that I believe that we need to have confidence in what you're doing. Today, I'd like to, if I can, without dissecting your thinking, uh, use some of the words that you have provided for us today to see your thinking. You had stated that, as it relates to the Fed, quote, we don't give advice To agencies. Now that's a quote from you today, we don't give advice to agencies. Um, Do you think that advice is different, which I do, than tools which you have to do your job? But I consider part of what you do best, perhaps the Fed, is advice. Can you help me to understand we don't give advice to agencies? Well, so I, I, th- I think particularly on fiscal
5: matters. Um, the people, fiscal matters affect people's lives. It affects industries and people and, th- and you know, tax levels and spending. That in our system is the province of elected people. And you know, for someone who's a, an appointed person who hasn't stood for election, and has a very narrow mandate, I, I just think we, you know, that's, that's not appropriate. If we're going to wander into, into those kinds of things, then what would be the case for our independence? If we're going to be involved in every political issue that isn't directly connected to our work, then why would we be independent? We should, just, we should just be another agency. But we have this independence, and I think to preserve it, we need to stick to what we do and, you know, resist the temptation to work on every problem, even the ones
7: that are not assigned to us. Well, let Let me say thank you for the answer. You do know, however, as we were talking about student loans, it's a rather large amount, about a trillion two that is out there, you stated that you believe that would likely be dealt with in legislation. Now, that's what you said, likely to be, dealt with in legislation student debt I think even private advice not within your tool structure but this advice that we're trying to land on would be really important because it will be the way I see it the next large uh, hit to inflation And this is why Republicans, or at least this Republican, says that I believe that this administration the Democratic Party are making friends with inflation. They are using the toolbox that they have of politics and money and spending policies to make friends with inflation. So my point would be to you, I sure hope That someone could send an unnamed memo uh, to someone saying that you have an opinion, if you have an opinion on that. Next point, uh, we have had some discussions about unemployment. How is unemployment calculated? So, you have to be actively looking for work within the
5: last month. To be and not have a job to be unemployed. If you're if you're not looking, then you're out of the labor force, and that that's uh, so you're not participating in the labor force. So that's those are the factors.
7: So what we want to do? Some members of this committee have wanted to look back and to say, well, Mm -hmm. perhaps under President Trump it was three point five percent. Now we're three point six, so not a big difference. And yet the huge number of jobs that are available is really the factor. When we're not jobs, that is a problem. But to simply say, well, Trump was Mm 3.5, now we're 3.6, everything is fair, it's all done. I think the other advice I'd love to have you have from the Fed is to someone about getting people back to work. Because today, the... uh, The government has given zero instructions for federal workers to return to work. And I think that it is causing a mindset among many, we don't need to go to work, thus reflected in 3.6% unemployment and millions of jobs awaiting. Mr. Chairman, thank you for taking time to be here. It's my hope that you would find in your toolkit advice that becomes perhaps more important and than I Thank you, sir. Thank you.
3: The gentleman's time has expired. The gentleman from Florida, Mr. Lawson, is now recognized for five minutes.
8: Madam Chair, can you hear me?
3: Yes, sir. We're loud and clear and we can see you.
8: Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, I want to thank Ms. Powell for and welcome them back to the committee. I know it's a, a great deal that is going on. And Mr. Powell, I think earlier, there might've been something that came from uh, one or another of my colleagues, and it was a rising interest rate to combat inflation uh, does come with a, a rise in unemployment rate and possibly cont- contributing to an uh, economic recession. While white unemployment rates have dropped to pre Demet levels, pre pandemic levels of 3%. And in QI on 2022, the national black uh, unemployment uh, rate remains still at 6.5%. And, and, and I know something you can't uh, say, but, uh, but what suggestion can you offer to help prevent black and other minority communities from facing future economic inequities as the Federal Reserve consider, uh, continue to raise rates uh, in the
5: near future. If I I heard your question correctly, it was whether we're considering future, additional future interest rate increases, sir? That's correct. Yes, so I I think um, just last week my colleagues and I wrote down our forecast for this year and we anticipate ongoing rate increases uh, over the course of this year. Yes, additional rate increases
8: uh do you believe that the the Fed's current inflation projection of 2022 and 23 may, remains a good uh benchmark to consider even with these uh uh vulnerability potentials growing in the upcoming months
5: i i think we these are the projections that, that the latest projections that individual FOMC participants submitted were submitted last Wednesday so i think they're still fresh and uh um, and there's a range, of, a range of expectations of people on the committee, but I think there are reasonable, a reasonable set of projections, yes.
8: Okay. And Mr. Powell, several of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle have been debating uh, about, uh, you know, the Biden policy and so forth, which I know you can comment on. Uh, but, uh, but there is a concern uh, uh, where we were kind of caught off guard with the war in Ukraine and then, at the same time, uh, uh, our vulnerability of all of the things that we depend on for other countries, uh, in your deliberation, uh, uh, when you all are working uh, with uh, uh, the situation that has arrived, uh, that, had been a, that, that came from the uh, Russian-Ukraine war and other real estate and other stress uh, in China, spilling over into the United States. Uh, Does the feds give a recommendation back to the administration on how we should proceed in the future because everything, you know, uh, uh, we've done a lot of things with other countries and depend on a lot of countries uh, for resources and so forth, and it looks like we're becoming very, very vulnerable, Well, it doesn't look like it, Uh, we're becoming very vulnerable to uh, this dependability. Uh, Do you all make a recommendation back to the administration on how we should proceed in the future? No, no, sir, we do not. Okay, and so early on, you said that as prominent let up uh, that policy position is, is let up is uh, should be uh, considered by the legislature or the administration. Am I correct?
5: I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I lost track of the, uh, what you said there. I apologize.
8: I think to some other colleague of mine, you stated that uh, those policies uh, should be left up to the Congress. Uh, or to the administration, you all don't really deal with that aspect of it. Am I correct?
5: Well, I'm sorry, which aspect of it? I...
8: About what recommendation could be made uh, for all of the things that we have all showed that we depend on from other countries. Yeah, and I might not be really clear, but for, for example, like the, uh, the gas situation uh, with Russia, you know, and wheat and stuff with Ukraine, and stuff of this nature.
5: No, we're not, we're not in those discussions. Those are, those are really discussions that happen inside the administration, um, the Treasury Department and, and the White House and the other uh, agencies.
8: Okay. With that, uh, Madam Chair, I yield back.
3: Gentleman yields back. The gentleman from Missouri, Mr. is now recognized for five minutes.
8: Thank you, Madam
9: Chair. And welcome, Chairman Powell. Long morning for you here and afternoon. Um, Question for you with regards to uh, a quote that on March 17th, the CFPB put out in a blog on rising interest rates in which they said, and I quote, the CFPB is the arm of the Federal Reserve System that is fully focused on consumers, ensuring that markets are fair, transparent, and competitive, end quote. Do you believe the CFPB is an arm of the Federal Reserve? And do you have any
5: control over their actions? Well, they're they're an independent agency. We have no control whatsoever of their actions. They are actually, though legally, a bureau. The law makes them a bureau, and 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 the profits that we make uh, off of our balance sheet, we give we give all of them to the Treasury Department, except the part that we give to, to the to, to pay for the CFPB. So does that make them an arm? For all practical purposes, they're they're fully independent in all of their. They're, they're not an arm of the Federal Reserve. Then I wouldn't consider that an arm. They they have a relationship, no, I, but they're not an arm. Technically, they're a bureau, but I they're mean, not
9: under you, so they're
5: not no. on how they could be. No, an we have arm. no supervision. Okay. And, you know, we, we do we collaborate with them, we coordinate with them, we talk to them.
9: Well, this is this is overreached by the director. I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. This is a bunch of nonsense, so it needs to be put in his place. Um, chairman, you you've got hands full right now. This is Wall Street Journal from Tuesday. We had economists say recession is likely. Uh, down here, we said stocks are not. Uh, not bottoming very soon, so we've got some concerns. I know yesterday you were in the Senate and uh, you know there was a long lengthy discussion on inflation which has been here as this morning as well and in my mind there's four root causes of inflation and we've had uh, economists in, in your chair a few weeks ago and I had one in my small business committee a couple weeks before that and I asked the same question of them. And I said it looks to me like there's four causes of inflation. Monetary monetary supply rules and regulations, energy, and supply chain slash job problems that we have with workers in, in the economy today. And they both agreed that's basically your four problems that are underpinning inflation. I asked them to, to give me a percentage on each one of them. They said roughly 40% for money supply, 20, So <clears throat> I guess my, my concern is that, you know, if you look at those four causes, you're trying to help fight inflation, it's one of your mandates, and you really under money supply is the only thing you have any ability to do something with, and even then it's probably only half of it because Congress has control over uh, how many dollars are put into the system with additional bills, like the trillion dollar stimulus package from last year, taxes and things like that. So it looks like you have a minimal amount of impact out of those four things, so it looks to me quite oftentimes whenever you're trying to control the inflationary stuff with the interest rate, it's kind of over here trying to do a little something when over here there's all sorts of stuff going on and the administration seems to be at a contradiction to some of the things you're trying to accomplish over. Do you ever feel like that? Do you believe that that may be a, a position that, that you're in right now?
5: So we're we're very focused on the part of the the job that we can do and using our tools to do it. Well, I understand
9: that, Mr. Chairman, but I it, it, it would seem that it would think that you're um, all these other factors fall outside your purview here, and for you to try and manipulate it and everybody rely on you to to solve the inflation problem by, by tinkering with the interest rate over here. It looks like that's a little over over hyping the situation, but. Um, one of the things that is 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 very concerning is the regulatory cost. In my discussion with the with the economist, he said, "Look, and this is the administration's own figures. Last year, by administration, cost uh, the co- cost of compliance with new regulations was two hundred and one billion dollars. That's astronomical. That's a huge cost that has to be built into all the small businesses and other businesses whenever they produce products and services for sale for customers. They've got to build in an additional two hundred billion dollars in costs every year." Would you agree that's a huge driver of inflation?
5: It sounds like a big number, yeah, and as you know we we try at, at the at the Fed to weigh costs and benefits and uh, yeah. take that into consideration would you agree that the, those are the four
9: things that I, I I said are underpinning inflation would you agree that those probably are the four major problems
5: yeah so most overwhelmingly most economists would would not would not think of it in terms of of money supply but would think of it in terms of supply and demand and although there may be a role for money supply. They would think in terms of supply and demand being being well, out of balance, and that's well, how I've, I think about it. You know, the, the definition of inflation I've always had was too many
9: dollars chasing too few goods and services. If you throw more money in, you have more money to, to
5: supply it to there's, the consumers. 40 or 40-plus 40 years of history, uh, of, and actually Milton Friedman at the <laughs> well, end came back and said, you know, that's not really working Mr. Ch- anymore. Mr. Chairman, I, I
9: just it may got Maybe working more, again, though. Is one more quick comment for you with, with regards to this. It looks to me like whenever General, you're modeling, when
3: you're, when you're trying General, to model and you're expired. using
9: four different things, I hope General, that your models are including expired. these things in your modeling. I appreciate just the 13 General, seconds to be able to finish my question. Thank you, Madam Chair.
3: Absolutely. Thank you. Gentleman from California, Mr. Chairman, who is also the chair of the Subcommittee on Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets, is now recognized for five minutes.
2: Chairman Pell, I want to thank you for bringing to the attention of this committee uh, over the last uh, several years the systemic risk uh, posed by uh, tough legacy LIBOR, some $16 trillion of instruments where we would not know the interest rate that the debtor is supposed to pay the creditor, and sixteen trillion dollars is a big problem. We passed uh, the relevant bill back in March, and uh, for those who think Congress can't possibly deal with a problem until after the last minute, we passed it a year and a half before the LIBOR hit the fan. Uh, that uh, bill uh, requires rulemaking by the Fed, and uh, the rulemaking is supposed to be done by uh, mid-September, and. Uh, That would put us in a, that's the final step in making sure that these LIBOR instruments uh, uh, are not a subject of uncertainty, because even one basis point, a thousandth of a percentage point of of risk or uncertainty, turns out to be significant when you're dealing with $16 trillion. Uh, So Chairman Powell, uh, can we count on the Fed in getting these uh, regulations out by mid-September?
5: Yeah, so... um By the way, thank you for all of your efforts on this uh, technical problem, um, which have really, really helped move it along. Um, And and in terms of the rule, yes, we know the deadline. We know it's a tight deadline. And I'm assured that that, uh, people are working very hard to meet that deadline.
2: Thank you.
10: You're shrinking your balance sheet. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Collin, in for Scott Wapner. We're keeping a very close eye on Fed Chair Jay Powell's testimony before the House Financial Services Committee. We're going to bring you any major headlines that come out of his testimony. Obviously, we've been keeping a close eye on it so far. But right now, we want to turn your attention to the markets and your money. Our investment committee today, Brenda Vingello, Josh Brown, Jim Liebenthal, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now. Looking at the Dow right now, in the red, very slightly down about a third of a percent. The S&P basically flat, the NASDAQ up almost a percent off of its highs just a moment ago, but getting some help from falling bond yields. And now we want to get over to our Alon Moy in D.C. with the top headlines from Fed Chair Powell's Q&A. Alan.
11: Well, Frank, this hearing is really more of a vent session for lawmakers to air the pain their constituents are feeling from rising prices at the pump, at the grocery store when they try to buy or perhaps even rent a home. Republicans repeatedly ding Chair Powell over his support for more fiscal stimulus back in late 2020. Powell said that that is over. He is done with trying to comment on fiscal policy. The Fed should stick to its knitting. But, of course, uh, that did not stop lawmakers from debating the root causes of inflation, with Democrats warning Powell as well that if the Fed goes too far too fast, then they could risk high unemployment and sending millions of people out of work. Now separately Frank I also want to mention that we got some breaking news during the hearing of a new warning from Intel saying that it's plans to expand in Ohio which 20 billion dollar expansion could be delayed or scaled back if congress does not act to pass the CHIPS bill which would send about fifty two billion dollars of support to the semiconductor industry in a statement that i received from intel the company said that the scope and pace of that expansion in ohio will depend heavily on funding from the CHIPS Act and unfortunately that funding has moved more slowly than we expected and they still don't know when it will get done it is time for congress to act so that intel can move forward at the speed and scale That they have long envisioned for Ohio. So there we're hearing some companies warn publicly about the dangers of Congress dragging its feet on this bill. Just yesterday House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had said that they want to see this legislation and the broader package passed by the end of july we'll see if that actually happens frank a lot of moving parts here on capitol hill All
10: right, a lot more down in dc uh, chip sector actually under some pressure today amd down two percent nvidia down one and a half percent jim Liebenthal, i want to come over to you i know you have some stake in intel what's your take on that news
12: Yeah, and just to be clear, I don't have a stake in Intel, but I am overweight semiconductors in general. Uh, To answer your question, Frank, I don't like reading this announcement. Um, You know, one one wonders, is this just kind of politics at play here, or is this a cover story that Intel is trying to back down on what is the largest investment thus far in the U.S. in the semiconductor space? So it is troubling. However, um, if there's anything that Congress can do that is worthwhile and and good, it would would be to pass the CHIPS Act. Um, I can't handicap whether that will happen or not because there's a lot of other things that Congress wants to pass that would not be as ubiquitously positive. And you can't tell if this is going to get caught up in that maelstrom. But the right thing to do would be for Congress to pass the CHIPS Act uh, for this plant and others to be built and to help uh,
10: uh, supremacy return to the U.S. in terms of manufacturing. All right, maelstrom. Don't hear that very often on uh, CNBC. Thanks for that one, Jim. Josh Brown, I want to toss it over to you. We were all listening to what uh, to Fed Chair Powell's testimony there at the House Financial Services Committee. Inflation continued to be the theme. What was your take from what you heard?
13: I thought uh, I thought the stuff about how this is a global phenomenon uh, is was somewhat important. Not that the majority of Americans are watching or paying attention to this stuff, but. uh, I think it's it's there's a little bit of a misunderstanding in terms of dis, like disentangling how much of the inflation is coming from Biden's uh, uh, stimulus bill versus how much is just endemic uh, and and just going to be part of the world that we live in uh, going forward. So uh, outside of that, you know, I, I don't think there's much there. I, I just think when we think about. Um, what we're seeing in the market right now the two most important things that have taken place over the last week or two number one oil prices backing off gasoline prices backing off i think we've had eight straight days of falling gasoline prices nas- nationally uh... that should help us stabilize a little bit uh... some of those consumer sentiment numbers which seem to be spiraling out of control at this point um, and then number two take a look at the ten-year yield so this is the kind of thing that i think maybe most people aren't aware of because just as quickly as rates ran up, they seem to be backing off. I don't know how much lower they'll fall, but 44 basis points has come off of the 10-year yield since June 13th. So that's almost half a point. We were at 3.5%. Now we're back closer to 3%. Um, A lot of that is related to, you, you know, newfound widespread concerns about recession, but the bottom line is it doesn't matter why. What does matter is that all of this volatility has come from one source, which is battling inflation. So if you get rates calming down, which we have now, and you get oil backing off of its recent highs, which we have now, that's maybe enough of a foundation to say that we may have temporarily found a bottom. I don't know if it's the bottom, but stocks seem to want to stabilize here. And getting follow through in the form of even flat stock prices uh, is is better than uh, one day wonder rallies with no follow through where we're making new lows right afterwards. So uh, that's what seems to be taking place this week.
10: Joe, I just want to be clear. Do you, do you think we're reaching peak inflation or we're near peak inflation? Is that what you're saying?
13: I don't think that inflation is monolithic enough to be able to say that all of it will peak out at the same time. I think it's very likely we have seen the peak in employment-related inflation. Um, Now you're starting to see layoffs. There are about 100 companies in tech and media that are downsizing. The Wall Street Journal had a big feature about uh, companies pulling offers and kind of like um, uh, the the shadow employment stats that haven't hit the, the headline numbers. But that's already starting to turn. I suspect business owners are going to get a little bit of relief uh, if, if, and, if and when they want to keep hiring. We'll see what happens. Um, oil is, is really not related to that, though. So you could have a situation where labor costs slow down, but energy prices keep rising through the fall. So it's important that we think about the sources of inflation and understand that they have different drivers. Even though concurrently inflation is up across the board, it's not going to stay that way in all categories.
10: So, Brenda, over to you. Um, two other headlines. Uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell saying the labor market is unsustainably hot. Also saying it's unsustainable for debt to grow faster than the economy. Any other headlines that caught your ear?
14: Yeah, you know, I think there were just a, a lot of comments about what does this mean for the job market? We're likely to see slowing, and that's going to be a positive thing. Certainly not for every individual, though, but for the economy overall, we need to see some slowing. Same thing in the housing market lots of questions about housing and what does this mean. And as Chair Powell said, you know, housing uh, represents about a third of CPI. So with prices normalizing and potentially starting to come down, that should ultimately have a positive impact on CPI. But as Josh was mentioning, you know, when you look at, at something like headline inflation, there are several components of that that the Fed really can't impact. Um, there are other drivers there impacting food and energy costs. Uh, that may the Fed may not really be able to to impact by rising by raising interest rates. So I think it's a complicated time. But I think also if you look at some parts of the market particularly areas like small cap equity. Where valuation is as low as it has ever been. uh, There is certainly a lot of draconian assumptions here about how this is all going to play out. And I think we need to be a little more pragmatic in as as we go in understanding the overall backdrop which still seems to be fairly positive. Um, Certainly not ruling out the potential for a recession in future periods. But I think if we look at the remainder of this year, there is a possibility that we will have um, a soft landing where things slow down enough that the Fed can potentially pause. And that would be certainly a positive for the stock market.
10: So, Pete, over to you. How do you see the outlook for the second half of the year? Are you also seeing the potential for that quote unquote soft landing?
1: Yeah, the potential for it, Frank. I mean, the reality is when we look at this and we look at all the different categories, whether it be nat gas or crude oil or take your pick. I mean, they have come down. Copper's come down. Copper was just trading at four and a half, and now it's at 380. And then you look over it at something like nat gas; it was over nine, and now here it's trading closer to the sixes, 630. So that gives you a little bit of a little bit of relief. I'm not saying that's giving us everything we need, but you also look at crude at 117. Now it's 104, 105. So we have seen some pullbacks. We've also seen and Josh was talking about the 10 year. I would bo- both highlight the 10 year and the 2 year. The 10 year was up near near 35. Now we're just above 3. You take over look over at the 2 year. That was up very close to 35. Now it's under 3. So I think those are some interesting parts of what we are seeing right now in terms of catalysts for the market. But there's a lot of different elements that go into each and every decision that everybody's making right now. Obviously, inflation is something that everybody's completely locked in on. But it's, it's also something where we're seeing volatility kind of moving around, but we're also seeing the velocity of these moves. When you look at what's been going on in some of these commodities, some of this has happened in just one week, or in some cases, maybe it's two weeks. But this is a very, very rapid move, and I think the markets are just trying to kind of navigate their way through. And I think that's why a lot of folks right now are very, very confused. Are we at that peak inflation, or Are we just at a point in time where we're consolidating and there's a next level higher? I tend to be leaning towards that second side of it right now, but we'll see, Frank. It's pretty interesting. So, Brent, I want to come back
10: over to you. J.P. Morgan out with a note today forecasting that the S&P could end the year at 4,800, about almost 28 percent higher than it closed yesterday and basically saying that they see inflation moderating in the second half of the year, leading to that so-called soft landing. What do you what else do you think needs to happen? This is the note right here. We're showing it to you right now. What else do you think it needs to happen to kind of create this so-called soft landing and to avoid a recession and, and make stocks increasingly attractive in the second half?
14: well i think we need to see that the economy hangs in there and the consumers need to keep spending right in order to to facilitate ongoing economic growth because the consumer is such an important piece of that and i think as long as the job market remains relatively healthy even if some of the froth comes out of it and inflation does come down and that alleviates some of the the pressure that the consumer is feeling and causing them to have to dig into the savings that they saved up over the last couple of years in that dynamic i think that we could have Uh, More of that soft landing scenario but the consumer is such an important piece of our economy and I think looking at where sentiment is today it's incredibly low no one's happy about paying higher prices no one's happy about seeing the correction we've all experienced in financial markets. So I think though that um, as long as the consumer can remain healthy in spending um, and that we don't see a real significant fall off in some of these areas like the job market that 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 would facilitate more of that soft landing that JP Morgan is is, uh, is forecasting.
10: All right. Uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell still on Capitol Hill right now. Markets actually falling a bit. Uh, The Nasdaq still in the green, but down about a half percent from where it was the top of the hour. The S&P also moving into the red over the last few minutes. Up next, trades on some of the big analyst stock calls of the day. Halftime, back in two minutes. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Halftime Report. Tesla's price target cut to 1200 from 1300 by Morgan Stanley. The firm is trimming Q2 estimates on lower volume. Elon Musk actually just recently complaining about some supply chain issues. It is one of our calls of the day. Brenda, you recently bought it.
14: We did recently buy it for the first time, uh, but I would say, you know, Tesla's not immune from some of the, from the supply chain issues that are really impacting companies inside and outside of the auto sector. Uh, but we think that this company continues to be really well positioned. Uh, We're expecting that they're going to be able to ramp production with our Austin and Berlin facilities ramping up. Um, and this company has pricing power, and that's important in this environment, I think, to stick with companies that have a, a great niche, a great moat, and that have pricing power. And we think Tesla has all of those. Um, in this note, the price of target reduction was simply because of an adjustment to the risk-free rate. Um, and I think we'll be seeing a lot of that um, as rental rates have risen. So I, I, I don't I want to read anything into that. Still
10: think the company is really well positioned here. Pete, over to you. You have a, a few Tesla calls, right?
1: Yeah, I did, and I no longer have those. But, yes, we even had some buying just again the other day with the stock trading right around that 680 level, and then it took off to the upside well over 700. But, you know, I think that's what we're seeing in Tesla right now. You see these just surges suddenly and then a pullback, and a lot of it could either be the commentary from Elon Musk himself or some of the news that gets out there. So I think that they will have some issues, obviously, a little bit of a slowdown on some of the volumes of delivery. But they're going to be able to make that up, I think, in the second half of the year. So I think this is definitely a solid. I understand why, why she's holding on to it. I like this name a lot. But when you get quick moves like we've had recently, I think you've got to take those off because these markets right now are definitely trading markets. They make it very, very difficult for, for long-term holds.
10: Jim, we're also looking at Disney, uh, reiterated as a a buy Bank of America target, though, cut to 122 from 140. What do you think?
12: Well, it's a tough time to be a Disney shareholder, and I am one. Uh, The reason it's tough is because with all of this talk about recession, what you think about is there very important profits at the theme parks uh, dwindling away if people stop going. Um, and, And inflation certainly has been seen to really be prevalent at the theme parks. But here's the thing what if we don't have a recession? Or, you know, what if jobs stay plentiful? We did have uh, initial weekly jobless claims ticked down slightly this week, and the continuing claims are hovering at 50-year lows. So maybe the worst is in here in Disney in terms of uh, predicting a recession that has yet to
10: arrive. So
12: I'm comfortable holding it, but I understand what the risks are uh, facing me and
10: the other shareholders. So, Josh, I want to come over to you with Netflix. Um, Two different takes on it today. Bank of america reiterating underperform cowan reiterating outperform given it a 325 price target where do you see it at especially in this inflationary environment
13: i think it can outperform i, I actually think this is uh one of the few businesses in the market that uh the infl- the inflation uh l- let's say the inflation scare uh might actually be overplayed i think netflix similar i've said this about starbucks too there are things in this world that are just affordable luxuries, and people don't give up on them as quickly as you think they might, even though they might not be necessary. So a cup of coffee is is one, and I think a video subscription is two. Um, this is a stock that was $700. It's 176. In January of 21, it was selling at 47 times forward earnings. Today it's 16. And as a matter of fact, it's actually cheaper than Disney, which sells at a forward earnings multiple of 22. So I think a lot of the risk has come out of this name. I don't think everyone in America or everyone all over the world is about to cancel their Netflix subscription to pay for gas. I think that's very unrealistic. And uh, this is the type of stock where you've already had so much pain. It's hard for me to imagine another year worth of news uh, You know that, that people weren't expecting. Nobody is expecting much uh, from Netflix over the next you know, six to twelve months. So I, I like it here. I think it's gone through enough.
10: Yeah, Netflix shares down seventy percent year to date. All right, coming up, FedEx shares pulling back today, but up ten percent over the last month. Earnings out after the bell today. Josh owns it. That trades coming up next on halftime.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
11: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones.
10: All right. Welcome back to Half. FedEx trading near session lows right now. It's set to report earnings after the bell. Shares have outperformed its rival UPS since new CEO Raj Subramaniam took uh, his new role on June 1st. And Josh, you recently bought it.
13: I did. I bought it for a trade. And if it keeps going my way, maybe it turns into an investment. But I think what's going on here is they came out in March. They affirmed full year guidance. Let's hope that doesn't have to change. They raised their dividend by 53%. Uh, the stock had its best single-day performance since the 1980s on the heels of them having done that. So I, I st- I'm staying with it since that happened. Um, and now we're going to basically get the first quarter under the new CEO. And for, for those that are relatively new to the story, Fred Smith was in his late 70s. There was an activist, D.E. Shaw, involved. They kind of nudged him out. And the COO took over. And the reason that's important Uh, This business is so heavily reliant on snags in the supply chain getting cleaned up quickly and the difficulty of hiring people. So having an operating person as the new CEO, I think, is an important signal. The other thing that's going on is compensation at the executive level will be more tied to shareholder performance. So these are all good things. We'll see what they have to say tonight. Hopefully, I can hang on to the stock. I do have a stop loss in place, uh, and I may have to reevaluate. If for whatever reason they don't stick to their guidance or uh, throw a curveball at us, so Brenda, you and their
10: rival UPS, any thoughts about what you're expecting after the bill?
14: Yeah, I would just say you know, um, obviously having a new CEO in place can be pretty transformative. We've seen that at UPS over the last several years, and our, that's our, why we prefer UPS. It's just this focus on better, not bigger, and improving, off automating, uh, improving uh, efficiency by implementing more automation being able to eliminate some jobs of the process um, and really just becoming more efficient overall, I think is is going to help not only UPS, but potentially um, FedEx as well in this type of environment that we're in.
10: So, Pete, you own UPS as well. Any thoughts about FedEx bumping up yeah. its dividend? Still below UPS dividend, to be clear. I believe uh, FedEx bumped up to about one right. and a half, UPS at about three percent.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and that was a great move. I think that was a great move by the CEO to make that decision. Obviously, the board members as well. I think they've they've done a lot of the right things. But there's a reason why UPS, if you just look at a one-year chart, why it's consistently been outperforming against FedEx. And I think a lot of that has to do with the ground versus international and a lot of the different, uh, you know, what goes into that whole pricing model. But I tell you what, I, I love what the company has done. I think it's been a great decision to do that. And by raising the dividend, that makes them that much more attractive. That being said, UPS still nearly doubled the dividend yield. So because of that, I'm going to stick with UPS. But I do think FedEx is going in the right direction right now under the new CEO.
10: Yeah, I misspoke. FedEx at 2% dividend yield. Uh, UPS now almost at 3.5%. Up next, Pete's latest trades and unusual activity and final trades. Halftime. We'll be right back. All right, time now for unusual activity. Pete, what are you seeing in the options market?
1: All right, I'm going to start off with Snowflake. Now, this is one that's pretty interesting. Yesterday, they were buying, Frank. It was interesting because they were in the money calls, August 120 calls, stock was trading 125. Those took off to the upside. They came back again today, and now they're going really short term. They're buying 8,300 of tomorrow's expiring 140 calls. So, obviously, with the stock trading just about 140 right now, pretty interesting to see if this thing's able to continue to move to the upside and break through that 140 again. It was over there earlier. We also have Freeport-McMoran. They bought twice today in FCX. Now, not looking so great because the stock's actually making a move to the downside. Stock was trading right around 30. They bought the July 33 calls and then 3,500 of the August 30 calls. So, aggressively buying and positioning into freeport Mac. They're buying a little bit of time too, so it's not so much about a today move, but actually a little bit further out into time. EWC, this is an ETF for Canada. I don't talk about this one ever. As a matter of fact, I hardly remember ever seeing this. But 56% of this is financial side of things, financial services along with energy. So you know exactly what you're getting when you're in this ETF. They bought 7,000 of the September 31 puts. That's with this stock or this ETF moving very close to its 52-week lows. So. It might be on its heels, but they're actually even pounding it even more, looking for even more downside there. Those were going for about $0.85. Cents.
10: Yeah, Snowflake with an upgrade from J.P. Morgan today as well. All right, time now for our final trades. Mm-hmm. Brenda, you're up first.
14: So, an animal company, essentially a pharmaceutical company, but without all of the problems that come with traditional pharmaceutical companies, it with generic competition, dealing with Medicare or insurance, none of that, uh, just plain old cash buyer. Um, so, we, love, we like it here.
13: Josh Brown. Uh charge point increasingly looks like it bottomed in early May. Stock is very resilient. I like it. All right, Jim.
12: Thermo Fisher, great healthcare company. And it's, it's what I'm recommending because I think we're stuck right now while we wait for more information on inflation and earnings. So it feels like a safe place to be. All right, Pete, you're getting the last word
10: on this one.
1: All right, well, i tell you what, you know that I'm a bull in the energy space, but we've obviously had a significant pullback and a little bit of trimming here and there, and I I don't have quite as much exposure. But the XLE does make me start to scratch my head a little bit because they're out there buying 68,000 of the October 52 puts. So looking for this to make some sort of a pullback, we'll see what happens. But definitely seeing those huge put buyers right now.
10: All right, that does it for halftime. The exchange, it begins right now.
14: wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here it's Wayday! right now you can score up to 80 off at wayfair save on sofas and cookware dining sets and rugs and beds wall art bar cards floor lamps sailing fans home decor all things outdoor and way more all up to 80 off right now plus everything ships free and flash deals are launching all way day long don't miss wayfair's biggest sale of the year shop Wayday right now may 6th at wayfair.com
11: Every style every home